Don Mockholtz, and you are listening to Looking Up with Don. This is the Looking Up with Don podcast, episode number 41, for the week of October 14th, 2020. The related website for this podcast is donmacholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com. What's up in the sky this week? As our week begins on Wednesday, October 14th, the moon is a thin 15% crescent in the morning sky. That day, October 14th, the moon passes a few degrees north of the bright planet Venus. There will be no occultation, but it should be a good photo opportunity. For those wanting to see the very thin lunar crescent in the morning sky, New moon will be October 16th at 1930 hours universal time. With the tilt of the ecliptic and with the moon passing north of the sun, the northern hemisphere is favored for seeing the thin crescent moon in the morning sky prior to it passing the sun. As for seeing the early crescent moon after new moon when it enters the evening sky on October 16th and 17th, the southern hemisphere is favored. The planets Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars are all now in our evening sky. October mornings from now through mid-November, these are some of the best times of the year to see meteors. There are several minor meteor showers, but the major one over the next couple weeks is the Orionid meteor shower, brought to you by Halley's Comet. The Orionids peak on the morning of Wednesday, October 21st, but the duration is more than just one morning. Halley's Comet, which circles the sun every 76 years, leaves materials that we pass through twice. Once when it is coming in, and the second time when it is leaving the inner solar system. The outbound meteors are called the Eta Aquarius in early May. The inbound branch is called the Orionids, going on now. The radiant, the point from which the meteors seem to originate, is in northern Orion. This part of the sky rises about midnight and is highest in the sky before dawn. Now, these meteors are fast. We have the combined speed of the Earth headed in one direction and the inbound meteors coming toward us in the opposite direction. This shower can be seen well from both the northern and southern hemisphere. The rates, the number of meteors you could probably see per hour would be between 10 and 30. The moon will be out of the morning sky through October 24th, so you can have a dark sky after midnight to watch these things. Get comfortable and look up. Will you be able to see the International Space Station this week, which for our purposes begins Wednesday, October 14th and runs through Tuesday, October 20th? Well, it depends upon where you live. 
And don't forget, when those cargo ships or crew transfers are going on, you might also be able to see those smaller spacecraft on the same path as the ISS, but running ahead or behind it. I recall in the late 1980s, when on a couple occasions, and I, I had to plan this with the local radio station in advance, I called the radio station and live on air gave a play-by-play -play of the space shuttle passing by. Local residents could then go outside and look up and easily track the space shuttle across the sky. Those were fun times. This week we have four zones for the visibility of the International Space Station. For those living north of 35 degrees north, there will be no visible passes of the ISS this week. Sweden, Norway, the Aleutian Islands, not this week. Between 25 degrees and 35 degrees north, this is a narrow band, 25 to 35 degrees, you will see the ISS in your morning sky beginning late in the week, just in time for the meteor shower. This will be parts of Europe, Asia, and North America. Between 30 degrees south and 25 degrees north, the equatorial zone, the ISS will be visible in your evening sky during the first part of the week and in the morning sky for the second part of the week. Those south of the equator will see the ISS in both your evening and morning sky on the same nights. And finally, those south of 30 degrees south will have it in your morning sky for the first part of the week with evening passes beginning later in the week. To determine where the International Space Station will be in your sky, go to the website heavens-above.com and enter your location, then click on ISS. We have been studying the results of a book I wrote in 1985, A Decade of Comets. It covers the 33 comets discovered visually from 1975 through 1984. This series began in podcast 34, and you can visit my website to download each section of the book for free. The website is donmockles.com. We are now in part four of the book, and this download is called Podcast 41, A Decade of Comets, Part 4. We'll spend two weeks on part four. This is the first week. Visual comet hunters spend their time sweeping the sky looking for fuzzy things. That gives it away. We do not watch for something that is moving. We just want to see fuzzy things because a comet will appear as a little fuzzball in the telescope. We see a lot of fuzzy things in the telescope. Most are galaxies, clusters, and nebula. A question that I had in mind when I wrote this book in 1985 was, am I seeing objects faint enough to be able to pick up an undiscovered comet? The three factors required to find a comet, one, to be looking in the right place, two, to see faint enough to pick it up, and three, to see it before others, well, well right there, to be able to see it when you sweep the area.
Back in the late 1700s, Charles Messe and others would sometimes find comets with the unaided eye. One could have used 7 by 50 binoculars and found all of the comets through 1799. Times have changed. By the mid-1970s, amateur astronomers were using 16-inch, that's 40-centimeter telescopes, and picking up comets of magnitudes 10, 11, and 12. 7 by 50 binoculars were just not cutting it anymore. Astronomers measure brightness in magnitude. The higher the number, the fainter the object. And each magnitude is two and a half times fainter or brighter than the previous magnitude. With your unaided eye, you can see stars down to about magnitude six, and with handheld binoculars to about magnitude eight or nine. With a six inch or 15 centimeter telescope, you can see stars down to about magnitude 13. But comets are extended sources, not point sources. That 13th magnitude star you can barely see in your six inch telescope needs to be defocused until the light is spread out to the size of the in-focus comet. So you look through your telescope and start defocusing. The star becomes larger and then it disappears into the background. Gone. That didn't work too well. Okay, so let's start over. This time with a star two magnitudes brighter, magnitude 11. Now that's six times brighter than the 13th magnitude star which just failed our test. We look through the eyepiece and defocus. And as we do, the light of that star starts to spread out over a larger and larger area. We stop defocusing when the star is now about as big as a small comet, about three arc minutes in size. It is now more difficult to see this defocused star than when it was focused. So we might say that a comet magnitude limit of the six inch telescope is about magnitude 11. But there is more. This is for observing an extended object when you know where it is in your field of view. Comet hunting is not about observing. We are not observing objects out there. We are acquisitioning them. The telescope is in continuous motion. The sky is continuously moving through the field of view. And you have only about two seconds to catch something as it passes through the field. During those two seconds, you also have to look, for instance, as the sky moves from left to right or right to left, at both the top and bottom of the field for things drifting there. And the objects near the top and bottom of the field are there for even less than two seconds. That is why for a while I used a small cardboard cutout to turn my round field of view into a square. So everything was in the field of view for the same amount of time. It was a smaller field, but it was worth it. The mind is very busy while comet hunting. Finally, comet hunters do not generally search high in the sky, but lower, not far off the horizon. So we're looking through more atmosphere, haze, potential light pollution, and overall less contrast not to mention the zodiacal light and twilight.
So that six-inch telescope that can see stars as faint as magnitude 13 could easily miss a comet of magnitude 10 while sweeping low in the sky. During my early days of comet hunting, I did a lot of things to attempt to see fainter objects. I was working in an optical lab for, for eyeglasses, but with the ability to make almost any type lens. I built my own eyepieces, including one with a 100 degree field of view. I put a Barlow lens into my 10 inch to increase the focal ratio. I also added a Barlow lens to the back end of the barrel of one of my existing eyepieces to increase the magnification somewhat and darken the background. I used light baffles and flock paper inside the telescope tube to increase contrast. I painted black the area around my eyepiece holder. I wore an eye patch and sometimes a shield around the eyepiece. I developed the square field of view and redesigned my telescope to set the eyepiece into the side of the tube of the reflector so that I could use a smaller diagonal mirror. And I noticed that if I swept at a slower rate, I could see fainter objects. But the trade-off of sweeping more slowly is that you cover less sky. Our study of the 33 comets visually discovered from 1975 through 1984 shows that for the 20 found in the morning sky, the average magnitude was 8.5. For those 13 comets discovered in the evening sky, it was much fainter, magnitude 10.2. So 8.5 magnitude in the morning, 10.2 in the evening. We'll get back to that in a minute. But let's see how each comet's brightnesses varied during the 10 days centered on the discovery date. For each comet discovery, using formula tailored to match the specifics of each comet, I made that determination. For morning sky comets, the average comet brightened 0.62 magnitudes per 10 days. For comets found in the evening sky, that rate was one-third as much, 0.21 magnitudes per 10 days. A few things. A comet brightening 0.62 magnitudes per 10 days could brighten nearly two magnitudes per month. That emphasizes the importance of getting out there frequently to look for comets and working efficiently around the moon's schedule. So now we see what is happening in the morning sky. Comets brighten rapidly, so by time you sweep it up, it is brighter than if it was slowly brightening in the evening sky. But note, some comets may have increased in brightness rapidly shortly before discovery, then acted more normal after they were found. That is an unknown with some comets, but if a comet was swept over and missed several times and then suddenly one night is discovered, you have to ask yourself why. Did it suddenly outburst in the previous few hours? In the book, A Decade of Comets, I spend the next page detailing comets that may have outburst shortly before discovery or, or rapidly brightened. I won't itemize them here, but it may make for some interesting reading. How fast are comets traveling at discovery? 
We are looking for fuzzy objects, but after we find a suspect, the next test is to see if it moves in relation to the background stars. So we make a sketch, plot a few stars in the suspected object, and wait. And wait. And wait. And keep checking the object. This is true for some of my comet discoveries. I had some time after I made the sketch and was sure I had the object plotted on a star map with rough right ascension and declination coordinates, continued comet hunting that part of the sky. The alternative would be to stare at an object for motion, but a watch pot doesn't boil, and I wanted to be surprised when I turned to it again and see, or not see, motion. On a few occasions, the morning twilight overtook the comet before I could see motion, so I packed up and went home wondering if it really was a new comet and wondering where I would be looking for it tomorrow morning. In the morning sky, the average comet moved 3.3 arc minutes per hour, which is generally enough to notice motion after half an hour. But the range is large, 0.5 to 17 arc minutes per hour. The evening sky comets move more slowly, 1.8 arc minutes per hour with a narrow range of 0.5 to 3 arc minutes per hour. So some of those slower moving comets would take a while to show motion. Make a drawing, wait an hour, another hour, and the object sets. In which direction are comets traveling when discovered when compared to the background stars? Figures 16 and 17 cover that with a surprising percentage traveling southward. Those in both the morning and evening sky also have an easterly motion. Since the sun itself moves generally eastward, 2.5 arc minutes per hour, the elongation of newly discovered comets is not often changing much upon discovery. That's good for the comet hunter to know. How large in size are comets at discovery as seen from the Earth? The moon is a half degree across. That's 30 arc minutes in size. The ring nebula, M57, is about one and a half arc minutes in size. Jupiter is about three quarters arc minutes in size. The more you magnify the image in your telescope, the larger it will appear. Books and articles about comet hunting suggest using low magnification, but that can pose a problem. With too little magnification, the small comets will appear very much like stars, and you can easily pass over them while sweeping at a two-second rate. In part five of this book, we look at the instruments used to discover comets, and let me just sum up that the magnification used range from 18 to 100, with the median being about 36. Our study of these 33 comets show that the average size is 3 arc minutes and that the range is 1 through 12 arc minutes in size. Most comets were reported as diffuse. That is, the light is spread evenly over the disk of the comet and the edges more or less blend into the background. These are the most difficult comets to see, diffuse. 
More easily visible are the condensed ones, where your eye is drawn to the brighter center. Then as you look at the center, you see the diffuse edges and say, oh, a comet, or something like that. And finally, of the 33 comets, only five of them, that is 15% of them, were reported to be displaying a tail at discovery. Most were fuzzy dust balls, more or less round, through the telescope at discovery. This is much different than the typical media comet discovery story, where a fine miniature Halley's Comet tail and all floats into the telescope field. Yeah, we look for fuzzy things, round fuzzy things, always. Next week, we will finish part four of A Decade of Comets. I'll be discussing the positions of the comets in the sky at Discovery from elongations to constellations. Now for the comets you can see this week. The positions, the right ascension and declination of these comets, can be found on this handout, Podcast 41, Comet Positions. Our evening comet this week is Periodic Comet Howell, crawling into the constellation Sagittarius. It is presently about magnitude 9. Comet Howell is plotted on Podcast 41, Map 1. That comet is our third brightest comet in the sky. Let's look in the morning sky for more comets. Comet 2020 M3 Atlas is in our morning sky in the southern hemisphere and headed northwards up through the constellation Lepus. It is developing well at magnitude 8. This comet will be closest to the sun in a couple weeks at 1.27 astronomical units. Not particularly close, but it is closer to us at 0.4 astronomical units which translates to 37 million miles or 60 million kilometers. It will be slightly closer to us next month. Such a distance from us makes it appear fairly large with the light spread over a larger area. And then there is a comet C2020P1 Neowise. Now this is not the bright Neowise one we saw a few months ago, this is another Neowise comet. This comet will be closest to the sun on October 20th at 0.34 astronomical units, close enough to get bright and close enough to fry out. Which will it do? Or will it brighten rapidly as it fries out? No one can see this comet as our week begins as it appears close to the sun in the morning eastern sky headed northward. For those in the northern hemisphere, the comet will make a brief appearance in the morning sky beginning about October 20th, but it will be a difficult observation, perhaps magnitude 7 or 8, and very low in the eastern horizon as the sky is brightening. One final comet is on its way towards the sun. It will be at its closest point to the sun on December 13th at 0.4 astronomical unit. It was discovered by the ATLAS project and it is designated C2020 S3 Erasmus. 
It's named after the person, Nicholas Erasmus, who found it on the images on September 17th. Presently, it is magnitude 12 in the morning eastern sky, about 20 degrees high as twilight begins. Over the next two months, it might brighten to magnitude 9. For more than a year now, I've had a Facebook page. We have been a community of a couple thousand, and the Facebook page had lots of images and photos. It was a good way to communicate with other astronomers around the world. Worked well for a year. Last week, for some reason, Facebook dropped the page. I've learned that this has been fairly common with Facebook, here today and gone tomorrow. It can happen to anyone. There are other platforms on which I can be reached, such as Twitter. There I am, known as hashtag Comet My website also provides another means for communicating with me. And speaking of my website, donmockles.com, my wife has finished formatting the stories of my 12 comet discoveries. This week, the recommendation is to start with the first comet, which I discovered in 1978. Or you can jump ahead to this comet discovery, Comet Mockholtz 1992K, and see how much money my dear mom paid me for finding a comet. It wasn't much, but it was enough. You have been listening to Looking Up with Don, podcast episode 41 for October 14th, 2020. I'm Don Mockholtz. Once again, the related website for this podcast is donmockholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com. Two H's. God willing and pod willing, I'll be back next week for another episode of Looking Up with Don. We will discuss what's going on in the sky and more comet discovery data from the book A Decade of Comets. All that and more. Thank you for listening. See the sky this week? I'll see you next week.